The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Church family, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. Thank you, Josh, for speaking that message of the Gospel. I enjoy watching that and listening to the children hear about Jesus and remembering that although the Scripture is as deep as you can possibly go and far beyond that, that we never grow, uh, we never grow beyond or grow away from the Gospel story of Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, we simply grow further into the Gospel. And so today, Matthew 24, I'm going to pick up reading in verse number 36 down to verse number 44. So Matthew 24, verse number 36, and would you read silently in your soul as I read out loud for us as a congregation today. Jesus says here, but of that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field, and one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer as we open up God's Word? Our Father, we now come to You and thank You for all that You've done so far in this service. We thank You for the privilege to meet together and to worship, uh, to, to love each other, to give, to pray, to study Your Word. And Lord, now at this time, I pray that You would help our hearts to be open and that you would, uh, we would change us. And Lord, as we do uh, start to walk toward Christmas Day and think of the Incarnation and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be ready and prepared for the second coming of Christ. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And so today is the first day of the liturgical year. And uh, now listen, I know many of you in here are like, hey, I was Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. We don't do liturgy in this place, all right? Now let me explain something to you. Uh, liturgy it just simply means order of service or order of worship. In fact, every denomination in every church that is a true Christian church in all the world has a liturgy about it. Even the ones that say we don't have a liturgy, they do have a liturgy. 
Uh, for instance, uh, the Quakers, our Quaker brothers and sisters, they have what they call the silent liturgy, and they have these extemporaneous services, but in some way it still is a liturgical in a sense. It has an order about the way, and that's all we mean by that, is that when we come to worship God corporately together, that we have an order about the way that we do that. So you know how most Sundays we have a deacon begin the service by reading the Word of God and then drawing us all to prayer. Well, that's a part of our uh, uh, liturgy in this place that we center everything. We begin our time together around the Word of God and the passage of Scripture and then we begin our time of worship by corporately praying together and then we go into a time of singing together and then we give together and then we pray and we honor the preaching of the Word of God together and we close in a benediction our service. So no matter what church you come from or where you are, all churches have liturgy. It just simply means an order of worship. And the church at large, not just Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians and all of those, but the greater church in all the world, those who have believed on Jesus Christ for time and eternity, we have put together, in some sense, a way of ordering our whole year so that our whole year is worship unto the God of heaven and oriented around the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the way the church has put that is that today is the very first day of the liturgical year, just like you would have a fiscal year and a calendar year. This is the first day of the church year. And we spend the next four Sundays slowly and in reflection marching our way to Bethlehem, whereby we will honor and celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you were to continue throughout the liturgical year, you would find that there are many Sundays that come after the birth of Christ, and then you move into a season of Lent. Many of you are familiar with that. And all of that leads up to Good Friday, and then Resurrection Sunday, and then there are the Pentecost Sundays that come after Easter Resurrection Day. And all of that leads all the way back again to this very day at the end of the year, whereby we celebrate and begin the new church year orient our whole lives and our whole church around the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't it interesting that when the first day of the year, celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, marching our way toward His first advent, that they would want us and we should as a church celebrate His first coming by living in light of His second coming. That is what the Lord Jesus calls for us to do. And on this day, what we do is we say, hey, we are preparing to celebrate the first coming. And advent just simply means coming. The very first, the birth of the Lord Jesus and the way that we celebrate the birth of Christ is by remembering that Jesus is coming again. Amen? Let me just give you three uh, small points from this text today. There are many ways that we could walk down through this text, but I just want to give you the most blatant and obvious ones uh, for today. Please forgive me for not having the PowerPoint. Connie and I got in from California last night at midnight, and uh, with the three-hour time change, we're a little bit tired, all right? Uh, so we'll pick up there next week on that. But let's look at these verses. Here's the first point that I want to make today. We don't know when He is coming. You say, you went to seminary all those years just to make that point? We don't know when He's coming. 
Now look, we may know some of the seasons and some of the, some of the things that are, that are going on. In fact, this text is in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. Jesus said, they asked Him, said, when are these things happening? When can we expect you to return? And Jesus said, there are some things that you'll know that are taking place, but as of the day and the hour, no one knows. And in these ten verses, three specific times, Jesus says, nobody knows when I'm coming back for sure. Look what it says back in the text. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son of Man, only the Father. And by the way, this does not to mean here something that the Son does not have deity as of the Father. It is a willing submission to the Father of heaven to lay aside that knowledge for the time being and allow the Father only to know when the Son is coming back. So what we can take from that is all of those people within Christendom, that uh, they set dates like, I think was it last year they had the blood moon guys out. Did y'all see all that in the news? Craziness. They are all stupid, okay? And forgive me for saying that, but anytime you start getting in the idea where you're going to set a date and here's 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988 and we're long since past that, aren't we? It's foolishness. It's foolishness. We don't know the specific day, nor hour, nor moment when Jesus is coming back. Three times in this text, that's what Jesus drives home. And here's the first point today. We don't know for sure when He is coming back. And that's important. Let me give you a couple of points of application of why that would be important. First of all, it breeds a healthy fear of God in our lives, does it not? It breeds a healthy fear of the God of heaven that He is returning. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that when you leave here today, this is the first day of the week, and we are going to honor and celebrate the uh, first coming of Jesus in the manger, but it matters how you live today. Gentlemen, it matters what you're watching on your computer screen. It matters what's on your phone. It matters the way that you treat your wife and your family. I want to tell you something. It matters how you live the Christian life. Why? Because Jesus might come back today. Would you want to be thinking about what you're thinking about right now if Jesus were to come back? Because when He comes back, He will open up all of the skeletons of your closet. He knows what's going on. And I just want to say, look, I'm not trying to say that He's some sort of bearded white, uh, old man in heaven that has a lightning bolt on His hand and He's coming down to judge you. But I do want you to live in a healthy fear as a believer that God Almighty sits on the throne and one day He will send His Son back. And the way that you live your Christian life this week matters because it might be the last week of your life. Holiness matters. Righteousness matters. Can I say this to our congregation? Evangelism matters. The way that we leave here today and we share the gospel with unbelievers at restaurants and in stores and at banks and the way that you live this week inviting folks next Sunday to come to church and celebrate the Christmas musical and hear the gospel, the way that we evangelize our community matters. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. Amen? We live in a healthy fear. Not just a fear of always coming to judge me, but a healthy fear of saying His kingdom matters. His righteousness is what's important. And what am I doing with my life? Hey, look, God hasn't called everybody in this room to leave everything they're doing and go to Mozambique and be a missionary. 
God's called you to live in the sphere of life that you are right now. But I want to ask you, with what you're doing with your life and what you spend your time doing, is it advancing the kingdom of God? Or is it advancing your own kingdom? And when He comes back and says, what were you doing with the life that I left you? What will you say to Him? Not only does it give us a healthy fear, but there in the text, and you can see that. Look at what it says. Let me walk down through this, um, verse 36. But of the day and the hour, no one knows. See, they're not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father. And He says that again two other times. Not only does it give us a healthy fear, but I think that it breeds a healthy hope and promise for every generation. You know, you might back up from that text and say, well, how come God didn't give the day or the hour? How come He didn't say, you know, in uh, December, December uh, 1st of 2050, Jesus is coming back? Well, because I think by not doing that and letting the Father have complete control of when the Son comes back, that gives every single generation of believer a great hope and a promise. Right? When we think about setting dates, you know what you're doing? That's chronological snobbery toward all the brothers and sisters that have lived before us. And when they lived, they lived saying, Jesus could come soon. Jesus could come today. And we will live and be holy and righteous and spread the gospel. And part of the reason why our congregation is alive and well today is because those generations lived in light that Jesus might come soon and they spread the gospel news. It's a hope for that generation. And you know what else it is? It is a promise for every dying generation that doesn't see the coming of the Lord Jesus. They are promised, I may not have been in my lifetime, but it will come. And what does 1 Thessalonians 5 say? But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Somebody came to see me a week or so ago and said, well, what, is, what does all that mean? Just so, and it says, we shall not prevent them, but the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds as the Lord is returning. Okay. All of our brothers and sisters that have died in Jesus, they are alive and well with Christ in heaven right now. And there is coming a day when all of the host of heaven will march back with glory with Christ to rule and reign upon the planet earth. Amen? I would say this. Not only does not knowing when He comes breed a healthy fear of living a godly life and spreading the gospel, not only does it promise every generation a hope and this promise of His coming, but it ties us directly to the history of the church. Don't you see what we have in common with those that we're in the Scripture for all of the rest of the Old Testament and marching all the way up to the first advent when Christ came, there was a remnant of people that were looking for the coming of the Son of Man. They were looking for that seed in Genesis 3.15 who will crush the head of the serpent. And did they find it in Abraham? No. Did they find it in Moses? No. Did they find it in Esther? No. Did they find it in David? No. Did they find it in the prophets? No. But all of those in the Old Testament pointed toward the One who would come in the book of Matthew, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all the hopes and dreams of all the years for all those that put their faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
They were looking and longing for the coming of Jesus. That's why Simeon grabs up the baby Jesus and says, the salvation has come to His people and now I can die knowing that salvation has come to His people. Come thou long expected Jesus. On this day, we are tied to all of the history of the church by our reflection and longing and looking for the second coming of the one who is born in the manger. On the first calendar day of the church year, we reflect upon the last day of human history. As we slowly and meditatively walk toward the manger, we see it in light of God upon His throne and His Son ruling the world. As we see Christ living His life, coming out of the manger and living and dying and bleeding for us, we see Christ upon His throne, risen again and coming back with power and great glory in the clouds. Amen? Let's reflect and think deeply about the coming of Jesus. Not only does this text teach us, first of all, that we don't know the exact hour of when He's coming. Secondly, His coming will bring sudden separation. Look back down at the text, if you will. Let me teach through this just a little bit, alright? Give me a few minutes. Verse 37. Um, for the coming of the Son of Man, right, when He comes back, will be just like, this is an analogy, right, it's a historical analogy, will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, there was eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah was entered in the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came. And what did the flood do? The flood took them, not Noah, not his family. The flood took them. All of those who were not in the boat. The flood took them away. Lost my place. All right. <laughs> and they did not. All right. Verse number um, took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. You see that inclusio there, or that bookend between verse 37, the coming of the Son of Man, the end of verse 36, and the end of verse number 39, the coming of the Son of Man. And so what he's saying here is uh, keep reading. Let me, let me read on here. There will be two men, verse number 40. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken. Right? And one will be left. Verse number 41, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Here's a few things out of those verses. When Jesus Christ comes again, there will be a sudden separation. Is there anything wrong with eating and drinking? No, we just came off of that, right? At Thanksgiving time. I may, you, might, you might need to confess the sin of gluttony. I don't know, all right? But uh, there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. There's nothing wrong with marrying and giving in marriage. What's the problem in the days of Noah? They weren't ready for the flood. They were busy and wrapped up in Black Friday shopping. See how I just kind of... Everybody in here like, oh... They were, they, were busy in, they were busy in watching the cowboys dominate to the glory of God. Amen. <laughs> they were busy with football and family and fellowship. And uh, they, were busy, they were busy with all kinds of really good things, but they weren't ready for the judgment of God. 
And when God placed Noah in the ark, and He sealed it up Himself, and the flood came, He took away all that was unprepared. And what about that man and that woman? Both of them. Out there in the field and at the mill, grinding and working. You know what that text teaches us? Common everyday people, there was no difference between the two men and the two women. It wasn't that one was good and one was bad, and one had a good family and one had a bad family, and one came from the right side of the tracks and the other came from the wrong, and one was black and one was right. They had nothing to do. It was two men and two women. One was taken and one was left. What's the difference? One was prepared and one wasn't. Now, when Christ comes again, it'll be just like the days of Noah. And you might have heard at some point that that text means that two men will be out there working in the field and in the, in, in the rapture that God will take one and the other will be left and God will take the woman and the other will be left. But I think textually, there's an argument to be made there and, and that might be the direction you decide to go. You have to work through that, think through that. But I think that, just remember this, that words have meaning only in context. And the direct lineage context of that is, as in the days of Noah, so in the coming of the Son of Man. As in the days of Noah, Noah was left and the wicked were taken. As in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, the righteous are left and the wicked are taken. There will be a sudden separation. Let me see if I can just point out a couple of things about that. First of all, I want you to understand from this text that God's presence cannot abide sin. Whenever you see in the Bible God coming to visit the world, there is always death that takes place because the sinfulness of human beings cannot abide the very presence of God. Isn't that what happened when God walked into the garden and He asked Adam and Eve, where are you after they had sinned? And in this day, you shall surely die. And they began to die that very day. What happens when God visits His people and Korah rebels against God? God opens up the earth and swallows them all up. What happens when God's presence is upon you? You ever wonder about that story in the Old Testament where the homeboys are carrying the Ark of the Covenant and one good, well-meaning guy just reaches up to keep the Ark from falling off and you say, man, he got struck down dead. Why does that happen? Because when the presence of God meets with the humanity upon earth, it cannot abide sin. God's holiness requires the death of all that is sinful. And when God comes again through Christ Jesus, He will bring judgment upon the world. So what is our hope? God knew that if He was ever going to visit the world and not bring death, He would have to die Himself. So God sent His Son into the world so that the world through Him might be saved. And He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God Himself, wrapped in human flesh, came into the world, born of a virgin, in the manger, lived His life. And when He went to the cross, God's presence 
met the earth and the death that belonged on all of us in this room was poured out on His Son on the cross so that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you would not have to suffer death and hell, but have eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to chat with you for a moment and say... If you're in this room today, maybe for the first time, or maybe you grew up in church and you say, I'm partly religious, I've made a profession, or I've done this or that, but in my heart, I'm not sure that I have an ongoing interactive relationship with Jesus Christ whereby my sins have been cleansed and I have trusted Him and I am living for Him every day. I want to tell you today, if you don't know for sure that Christ is the living Lord of your life, this is the day Put all of your chips in the judgment of the cross and not in your own judgment when He comes again. Let me make a third statement. Look back down at the text if you would and just simply want to say this. First point, we don't know when He's coming. Second point, His coming will bring a sudden separation. Third point, be ready for the coming. Be ready for the coming. Look down, if you would, at verse number 42. Therefore, be on the alert. See, that's repeated three times here in this passage as well. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must, same word, be ready, be alert. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. Be ready. There's two thoughts that kind of come to our minds when we think about that. Be ready. The first is this, brothers and sisters. Is it... Isn't it kind of latent in the idea here, be alert, be ready, that you take some action in your life? Don't just think about it. Don't just read about it. Do it. I'm not telling you that you earn your salvation, but I am saying that God is never opposed to effort. He is always opposed to earning. God wants us to put effort into our Christian life to be ready. And just simply take it straight from the text to say, well, how do I do that? Think about Noah. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He lived righteously and obediently before the Lord. He built exactly what God wanted him to. And he worked on his family and he preached the gospel to all that were there. He did right in the sight of the Lord. We must be a people and believers of obedient action before the Lord. When He comes, will He find us being obedient to Him? Are you obedient in your Christian life to the Lord? Are you ready? Just walk through the Scripture yourself. Find out what God asks from His people. And do those things. Not only latent in that passage of be ready means that we actually act out our faith, but you want to know something? Isn't there something when you say be alert and be ready? Doesn't it just ring with the idea of actually having a plan? I, 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 sometimes I say to myself, you know, plan your work and work your plan. But don't, 
you know, when you're being ready and you're going to act out your Christian life, isn't there something to actually having a plan to do that? You know, I, you know how many believers, they'll read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and they'll say, man, that's a beautiful chapter. That's the way Christians ought to live. That's the way believers ought to walk with the Lord. That's what, what they, well, how do you do that? I don't know. I'm just going to wake up tomorrow and be better. Who does that? It's like that old statement, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's garbage. If at first you don't succeed, find out what went wrong. <laughs> Fix it. And then try again. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, do you have a plan to be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus? I... I used to watch this show every once in a while. Uh, they call it like Doomsday Preppers. Some of y'all are laughing. Yeah, there's a show, you know, that kind of stuff. Look, let me tell you something. If you want to collect bottled water and cans and stuff like that, more power to you. All right. But what you need to do is be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus, not so much by taking care of your physical needs, but by taking care of your spiritual needs. And you need to have a plan of action. Just honestly analyze your life right now and say, where, where am I with the Lord? How am I walking with God? Am I maturing? Am I growing? Am I being what He wants me to be? Or do I have blatant open sin in my life? Do I have things that are going in my life that aren't right? They're not good and I want to get rid of those. And I want to say develop a plan to work on those things. And if you need help with that, that's what we do here. We help people make a plan to walk with Jesus. But can I just give you a few things for starters? Number one, begin by opening up the Bible that you have and read it. And if you don't know where to start, come and talk to me. Read the Scripture, not as a duty, not as a guilt trip, not as a quota to me, but as the revelation of God and the joy to be able to say, I want to read this because it helps minister to my life and helps me become more conformed to the image of Christ so that when He comes, I'm ready for Him. Give your soul over to prayer. Find a time, maybe just two or three times during the week to begin with, and pray. Pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for your church. And if you need help learning how to pray, come see me. Or just look at the... Jesus said, Jesus taught people how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you all know this passage? Just begin there and pray. Make a plan for giving. Oh, I stopped preaching, started meddling now, you know. <laughs> you know why? Do you know why the Scripture says so much about sacrificial giving? Because it requires you to have a sacrifice and to really take that form of security and what you're holding on to and say, I trust God more than I trust myself. I'm going to give for the furtherance of His kingdom and His glory. Plan to read, plan to pray, plan to give. Can I say this? Plan to be with brothers and sisters in community. Some people, some believers isolate themselves. You cannot be the Christian God wants you to be by yourself. Let me say that again because somebody needs that here today, I'm sure. You cannot be 
the Christian that God wants you to be alone. Say, how do you, how do you possibly know that? God Himself is three in one. Why? Because He requires of Himself community among the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And He created human beings in the image of God so that we would reflect that same unity and community together, both with Him and with each other. Well, let me finish up. Let me finish the uh, verse here, verse 44. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. You know what? I don't know. Uh, let me just bring this into our world. I don't really know who you voted for. And take this in all Christian love, but I, I really don't care at this point, okay? I'm glad all of the ads are off the television, aren't you? Okay. But I, I will make this statement. I promise you that there's probably some people in this very room Silently in your heart, you think, we're going to be all right now. Dow Jones has gone up. 401k is going to be all right. Life is like I want it to be. We're back on the right road. I'd be real careful about that. Because He might just come at a time when you think everything is okay. In fact, the New Testament backs that up by saying, when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. I would not be so interested in what's going on on Capitol Hill I would be interested on who is on the throne of your life. All of that out there changes. But where you stand before God will matter for eternity. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.